You're listening to the TV Obsessive channel, presented by tvobsessive.com. Hello, welcome back to the TV Obsessive Podcast. This is episode 30. My name is Ryan Kirksey, writer contributor, contributor to tvobsessive.com, and I'm here with Cameron Crane, the executive editor for the site. You look to have both of your eyes today, Cameron, so that's a good start already. Yeah, I'm not not totally useless. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're not useless. No, with, with no offense to people with no eyes. Yeah. Clearly, we're, this is like, you know, it reminds you of the thing where he's alluded to Fargo, which we're going to talk about later, which hopefully you've seen if you listen to the podcast. If not, as per usual, we'll, we start these things out. We talk a bit about what's been in the news this week, uh, chat a bit about what we're watching. So in theory, you might just be listening to that part. Sorry if that was at all a Fargo spoiler. <laughs> I, I kind of don't think so. Um, latter half of the pod today, we're going to talk about Fargo season five, episode nine, we're approaching the end of the season. Um, the title of which is The Useless Hand. Um, anyway, spoilers later, not spoilers yet. It's January 9th, 2024. Ryan, what do you got? What's in the news this week? Yeah, things are coming pretty fast and furious now that uh, things are ramp- ramping up from the strike being over, holidays being over. Um, maybe we should just spend just a moment um, on the news from. This Sunday night with the Golden Globes, surprise, surprise, the Bear and Succession are big winners. Um, they took home a lot of the awards, respectively, for uh, comedy or musical and drama series. So, yeah, it seems like a, the acting awards, the overall awards, even the creative and technical awards from the weekend, they just seem to, to sweep a lot of this. And yeah. I, I, guess, I guess it's what we thought would happen. I mean, it basically is, and particularly in retrospect, you know, I griped about this when we were talking about the nominations, because I don't really think Bear is a comedy. Mm-hmm. And I really kind of, particularly in retrospect, think they put Bear, the Bear in the comedy category, so they didn't have to decide between the Bear and Succession. Right. And basically, my claim is, they're cowards. Because <laughs> <laughs> I they don't think the Bear is a comedy, really. I mean, yeah, <laughs> they got to give them both the awards and... Uh... <laughs> You know, and I, have a, I have a gripe on the behalf of Barry because, like, I think Barry loses out because you put the bear in the, the comedy category. But yeah, th- th- that is that is a good point. Th- this year, this award season, television award season, Barry will, in one way or another, lose to 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 these shows. It seems um, not that the other two shows are not deserving, but uh, Barry deserves something, and and it may get shut out. I think it's going to get shut out. Yeah, just from in particular seeing with the Golden Globes how they didn't even backdoor in anything for you know best actor <laughs> or anything like yeah. that, you know. Um, but so it goes. We've got a bunch of other news. Um, some things are, are are kind of hitting the radar that are probably really far ahead. So, for example, like I was reading, um, there are some talks about a potential third season of Big Little Lies, which I believe won uh, an Emmy for a limited series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that I fair? That, uh... <laughs> we retrospectively take that away and yeah. uh, <laughs> I give it to Twin Peaks or something. I don't even know if I'm giving you my years right. So it's a limited series. What are you going to make for? Yeah, no, too popular to be a limited series. Yeah, I saw Reese Witherspoon put uh, something out or reference this. Uh, so, yeah, this this is happening, I guess. What I read is Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman want it to happen and they're the ones pushing for it. So it seems. Mm-hmm relatively likely uh, did you watch the show at all you, I've, I've not seen this show is, is this a soapy show is this a what, what kind of show is big little lies it's kind of soapy 
Okay. I, I, I think I got sucked in from the buzz and watched the first season. And then I can't even quite recall if I started watching the second season and quit or if I said this was supposed to be a limited series, I'm not watching anymore as like a weird principled stand that no one cares about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I kind of felt like season one was sufficient, you know, like they had yeah. the story and then it really did feel like one of these things where this, the show was so successful and critically acclaimed that they would, they would give it more. So um, for some reason, my mind just always, it, it, I don't know why, maybe it's because I, I think Reese Witherspoon's in both is that it, this show and the morning show are like the same kind of thing. People watch it because it just sort of sucks you in, but they don't necessarily like it or they don't necessarily think it's, it's good. But I, I may be completely wrong about that. I, these are two different properties. Yeah, I don't know because I haven't seen the morning show at all. What what I, what I do recall from Big Little Lies season one, anyway. Yeah. Um, is you know, what, I think you asked if it was soapy. I mean, to some extent, because there's like a lot of kind of ins and outs and twists mm. and turns and um, deception, which I'm sure is surprising given the title yeah. of the show. Um, but <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, it, it was like a solid drama. Like, yeah. So. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. That's uh, well, they hope that that is, is coming. One thing that we know is coming uh, finally is after much delay, this was apparently about ready to kick off before the strike happened in the spring. Stranger Things season five has finally begun production. This happened yesterday, January 8th. We're recording on Tuesday. Um, So they, they announced us with a, you know, a, tweet a post or whatever you want to call it of a picture of the cast um they, they've got a problem on on their hands these guys are all like 42 years old now and uh <laughs> yeah. supposed to be playing ninth graders or something um so i don't know how they're going to get away without a time jump in this in this season five but uh the cast has quite grown up in the past uh two years since this came out you know i mean in part, the worry is a product of our times. No one used to worry about this. We yeah. all watched Beverly Hills 902 and 0, and, 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 and all the cast members were in their 30s and stuff. You know, like it was. That's true. Uh, uh, yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I'm curious. It's possible, too, they might get into some of this de aging stuff. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. where right now. I personally, what I really respect is, is something like what they did on Better Call Saul, where they just said, deal with it. Yeah, you know, suspend your disbelief or whatever, right? This is a younger Bob Odenkirk. What do you mean he looks older? Exactly. Right? Um, but it is a little bit tougher when you're dealing with like teenagers. And yeah, and, and in, in the end, I think that's what's going to happen. The, the the people that run the show are going to say, "You care about this show so much, you should not care about that." Yeah, probably. I mean, even yeah. I would say that's my hope because yeah. I think it's either going to be that, or they're going to get to like some weird de aging territory, and, and I don't. Yeah. I don't, unless they had already planned some kind of time jump. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think they're going to do that. So hopefully they assess us. Pretend the 13. Yeah. <laughs> Which they did sort of box themselves into a, a corner with the end of season four that would make a time jump very hard to do. Yeah. But again, you know, this is probably not coming out until 2025. Maybe one of the most anticipated final scenes of any show ever yeah. um so just i'm just just excited to see that they're they're back at it yeah other things that are maybe uh way down the line <laughs> and 
And I'm going to give one that we may or may not care about. But NCIS is like the most popular show in the world. Yeah. And they're making a prequel series now. They're gonna have they're gonna they're gonna do the young Sheldon thing or so or whatever. They'll make a prequel series. Mark Harmon's gonna gonna narrate, and I'm sure grandparents everywhere will love it. Yeah, this will be the most watched show when that comes out. I'm I've never seen an episode of NCIS, but my man, grandma used to watch it. What's that? My, my grandma, my grandma used to watch it. Yeah. She called it, she called it Navy Nicks. She like turned the sound way up. <laughs> I mean, if you need 20 million people to keep watching your show every week, then yeah, you're you're doing something right. Good for and, you. Yeah, and reading about this, it's been like 20 years of this this franchise, and yeah, had, you know all these spinoffs and so on. So you know, like, why not? We've got a, a stalwart of network TV here, uh, <laughs> so I'm sure some people are looking forward to that. Yeah, uh, I, I gotta. Here's my Mark Harmon fact. You don't know the first time I remember seeing Mark Harmon. Remember, I'm a, mm, I'm, you have I'm a distinct memory. I don't know what I, I do. What I'm do you born got? in 1979. That's the year of my year of my birth. So the first time I remember seeing Mark Harmon was on a TV miniseries about where he played John Dillinger, the gangster John Dillinger. This is from 1991, and I just for some reason that that it's always stuck in my head. Him being spoiler, John Dillinger was killed by the police outside a movie theater. Um, and for some reason, that memory of him is stuck in my mind forever. So whenever I see Mark Harmon, I picture John Dillinger. That's wow. so, your useless fact of the day. I cannot, I could not tell you where the first time was I saw Mark Harmon. <laughs> it, it wasn't, it wasn't NCIS for sure. Like already when he was doing NCIS, he already felt to me like this kind of guy who'd been around forever. Yeah. You know, so apparently he was in four episodes of Moonlighting. So in your, uh, in your yeah. Moonlighting, you may see him there. Hey, it was the moonlighting arc. You know, it's like, it feel like he was one of those guys. He was in like all kinds of stuff, you know. I, I do kind of think NCIS might have been the first time he was the lead. Yeah. You know, in, in a series like this. Um, in other news, Minx was canceled again. You ever watch Minx? I've never, I, I, I will admit, I didn't even know what this was when I saw it in, in the notes. I've never seen Minx before. Me neither, actually. <laughs> but I, I know that it has something of a fandom and. It was on um, HBO Max, and they canceled it uh, after one season. And then yeah. Stars picked it up for season two, and now Stars has canceled it. Um, you know, it got some praise for what it was doing in terms of I, something related to pornography is going on here. But then also, I think it was like got some plaudits as like being feminist-ish or something. I, I don't know. Apologies right. to people who like Minx, but I wanted to mention, this is actually me, I'm mentioning it to give sympathy to the Minx fans out there, because I know that they exist, and it sucks to I see. see. Okay. sucks to see some of these shows that don't, they feel like they're not getting a chance now, or something like that, or they got canceled one place, got picked up another, but then they cancel it again, you know? Yeah. And it's more of a long-term worry I have about these kind of... Um, less than hugely popular shows getting a chance anymore. Yeah. Well, sort of segueing to more HBO uh, material, there was some Last of Us casting news that came out. Um, Pedro Pascal mm -hmm. has been all around sort of hyping this up and saying they're, up, they're about to start soon and season two is going to begin production. But what caught my eye really was some comments by Nick Offerman over the weekend at the Golden Globes where he admitted that there has been a pitch made to HBO for a Bill and Frank prequel series, a spinoff to The Last of Us. Now, you and I discussed this episode several weeks yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, 
you know how much I love this episode of television. Um, I'm going to say I actually don't want this. I, I don't want it to or take away from some of the magic that was that that thing that sort of stood by itself in this larger larger show. Would it be interesting with Offerman and Murray Bartlett? Absolutely. Would I watch it? Yes. But I just I think I'd rather let that episode stand for all time by by itself instead of a prequel show about the two of these guys. Yeah, I agree completely. You know, I've yeah. seen that episode and and um we're gonna tie this into something that that maybe I was gonna say down the line, but it the sites here. Um, we were talking about Sexy Beast, and now they're going to make a prequel series of Sexy Beast. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week, I went and watched the film again, which I hadn't seen yet. I was like, yeah, this is a good film. I like this, you know? So I think I'm going to check out the show and watch it. But at the same time, I kind of don't want it to exist. Yeah. Because the film plays with this implied black uh, backstory so well that to, like, create an explicit version of the backstory... I worry mm-hmm. about undermining the power of the original film. And I think yeah. my worry with the Bill and Frank thing would be really similar. You have this powerful self-contained story um, and I worry that a prequel would would kind of undermine the impact of it. Right, and if you remember the episode, they meet for the first time, say two or three years into this, you know, this event happening. So a prequel series means they're separated yeah. And, and what? Why do I want to see something that just follows the two of them in separate places at separate times? I just, just, just don't, 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 don't think we need that. Yeah, um, curious to see if it happens. Even yeah. right. I mean, some of this stuff we're 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 veering into, like, hey, you know, someone said to someone else, maybe we should do this. And that's, <laughs> it's, I think it's about at that level. So, yeah, um, maybe what happened, but you know, it is similar to the Sexy Beast prequel in my mind. I might watch it. Yeah. And I think that gets to the problem, you know, um, that from kind of a artistic point of view or whatever you want to call it, my opinion is, no, don't do that. Yeah. But then um, from like a consumer point of view, I would watch it, you know. So if the uh, network or studio or whatever determines enough people would watch it, well, then they'll go ahead and make it. Yeah. From a business perspective, they know that people are saying, well, this, you know, is an immediate all-time episode. Um, well, how can we take advantage of that? It makes sense that they would want to do something, but just, yeah, from a perspective of someone that loved it so much, I don't want to have anything ruin it. So we'll we'll see. Maybe, maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. But that's many, many years down the road, apparently. So, well, and, the li- and there's just such a limited chance that they would do something and do it well, and it would stand on its own merits and really feel like it was worth doing, you know. I mean, I guess that's possible here, but um, one of the reasons why I give so much praise to Better Call Saul is I think it's really hard to do a prequel well. Um, that doesn't feel like it's just kind of gimmicky. And I can't think of a lot of examples other than Better Call Saul. One thing we do know that will be coming on HBO relatively soon is White Lotus Season 3, projected to come out in 2025, and there was some casting news this week. Uh, this has, of course, been one of these very interesting ensemble shows, on-location shows. They're going to start filming in Thailand next yeah. month. And Leslie Bibb, Jason Isaacs, Michelle Monaghan, Parker Posey, several others have been named to the to the cast. Uh, some of the 
holdovers from season one to season two. We haven't seen or heard anything about those. Nothing in regards of the spoilers of the plot of that that show. But um, you know, this is more in the anthology nature with a new cast each each season. Um, but yeah, let's just get this going. Get this as quickly as we can because there's some 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 highly anticipated themes and and ideas coming out of the Thailand season apparently for for number three. Yeah, looking forward to it. Anyone, anyone particularly pop for you personally on that casting list? Anyone that you particularly, you know, yourself thought, oh, oh, that's that's great, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think Parker Posey would be a great addition. Um, I can only imagine someone like Leslie Bibb is going to be a some kind of middle aged mom with some sort of neurosis or issue or something that she's trying to to work out while on vacation or something um you know this deals this show deals with a lot of the wealthy and the high society and the things that they're able to do and the problems they have so yeah i mean just the the females to me certainly stand out with leslie bibb michelle monahan and parker posey that that's a pretty strong top line yeah parker posey would be the one for me too as someone who at one point in his life like back in the 90s <laughs> would like seek out indie films and and be a blockbuster and go oh parker posey's in this so, <laughs> uh, but you know uh jason isaacs too <clears throat> has done some really good work so um uh in particular i'd call out his performance in the oa so mm. um yeah looking forward to that um i think that's about the news yes yeah. Adam's okay so yeah um what are you watching lately? Yeah, it's kind of a season of endings and beginnings right now. Um, I know you and I are both watching shows that end this week. Uh, we know Fargo ends not this week, but next. Yeah. Uh, Monarch, I'll be recapping the final two episodes ready for the site on Friday. Um, so that ends this week. And then the binge for the Marvel show Echo is tonight, uh, here Tuesday night, January 9th. Uh, I'm going to give that a go, try to maybe tomorrow do it all in one one sitting. I'm um, looking to see how Marvel can handle a TVMA product. Uh, yeah. But uh, it, it should, uh, we'll have some awesome, certainly some some thoughts on it next week and may, may throw something up on the side as well. Cool, yeah. As you mentioned briefly, I've got the curse. Finale of the curse is impending. <laughs> I'm not allowed to say anything like the stuff from Showtime says don't say anything I've seen it I've written on it and um, oh boy <laughs> I'm looking forward to I'm kind of looking forward to seeing you know how the world reacts That's the, I'll just leave it there I don't think that's a spoiler um, other than that yeah we got Fargo that's coming to a close of course also on the horizon here is True Detective Night Country um, which I guess I mentioned now, or we're planning to talk about on the podcast next up. So we're we're kind of figuring out the logistics. We're going to double up a little bit between Fargo and True Detective because they over at, overlap just a little bit. Um, but I'm definitely looking forward to uh, that one as well. Um, other than yeah, that, I'll, I'll plan to have a piece up each Sunday night about True Detective. It's just six weeks, um, yeah. so I'll have first one up. Um, Sunday night this uh this week first episode yeah doubling up there Ryan's gonna write on it and we're gonna talk about it and that'll be interesting um I mean it'll be good it'll be good uh I'm starting, that, to, I'm starting to see the 
the Silence of the Lambs comparisons, which I'm interested to to dig into it and see how how accurate those are. I don't know. It's probably just a Jody Foster of it all, I guess. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. Um, beyond that, uh, Celebrity Jeopardy resumed. And, uh, oh, good. Okay. Uh, so that that's out there. And I kind of got into a little game show kick. I started watching reruns of Match Game. You ever watch Match Game? <laughs> yeah, I've seen Match Game. <laughs> so this is the Alec Baldwin version. I don't know if there's oh, any ethical qualms about watching Alec yeah. Baldwin. Um, <laughs> I, I did shout out to Wikipedia. I wondered because uh, it got canceled. I was like, well, did it get canceled because of the shooting thing? Um, yeah. And the, apparently the answer is no, but the Wikipedia page makes a point of saying that they canceled Match Game before that happened. Before that happened. So, okay. okay, fine. <laughs> but I used to watch I used to watch the old 70s version, which was always reruns, you know, because I wasn't alive then. Um, was that Richard Dawkins, I think? Richard Dawson, yeah, seventies and eighties game shows just, just remain unmatched. So those, those were fantastic. Yeah, but I did think the rebooted version of Match Game worked relatively well. The contestants do not win very much money. It was like, oh, congratulations, <laughs> you got a thousand dollars. I didn't get go you to the Super Bowl round right? and, and turn that into five thousand dollars. <laughs> you know, nothing to sneeze at, I suppose. But anyway, I. I enjoy it. I don't know, just how they're, it's like implicitly there's like bonus points for double entendres and all of that kind of yes. stuff. It's just oh, a, yeah. kind of an entertaining show, so I wasted some time on that. Um, all right, well, I think should we get to Fargo? I think we should. I think we've exhausted all the news and notes, so let's dive into episode nine. Okay, so on the other side of our quick little break here, we're going to talk about Fargo, Season 5, Episode 9, Tell the Useless Hand. Um, again, all spoilers on the table for Fargo up through this point. And um, yeah, we'll see you in about 10 seconds. Okay, time to dive into Fargo Season 5, Episode 9, The Useless Hand, written by Noah Hawley, directed by Thomas Bazooka. Uh, quick summary, two of our main characters are now in captivity. We knew about Dorothy being trapped in the, uh, in the Roy Tillman Ranch, but now we see that Gator is being held in, a, in an ice shack, an ice fishing shanty on a lake by Munch, and he is getting quite the quite the treatment from uh, him, as we'll find out later. Dorothy manages to find a way to get out of her her handcuffs and make it into the house so she can call Wayne and Scotty to let them know what's going on and that she's okay. But she's not able to escape because some things have been set in motion that are not going to allow her to leave. Simultaneously, Lorraine has learned about Dorothy being at the ranch and her and Indira start to call in some favors to get the FBI and SWAT team to, to raid the ranch while Tillman goes online, puts the call out to all of his militia members to come bring their bring their gear, bring their bullets, bring their trucks and defend this ranch, defend their freedoms. Uh, meanwhile, Indira has started to work for Lorraine. Whitfar wants to be part of the rescue team that searches for Dorothy. 
And then towards the end of the episode, we see that Munch brings Gator back to the ranch, we believe, without any eyes. He's taken out his revenge, um, biblical style, eye for an eye, after uh, after Gator killed the woman that, that Munch was living with. So um, Gator is there. His father deserts him. Um, but Dorothy is stuck uh, in a pretty precarious situation. But it's Munch who comes to her rescue, kills guys who are going to who are trying to kill her, gives her a weapon, lets her defend herself, and um, goes off into the wind, as it were. So a lot happened and a lot didn't happen in this episode. Um, we're not too far away from where we started back at the beginning of episode nine. So general thoughts for things to to get into is we clearly have a, a big uh, climactic action finale coming our way. Yeah. So I had some quibbles, I guess. And let's start there. Yeah. So, yeah, like start negative and then go positive as well. Um, as you mentioned, that this the episode opens with Munch having Gator in captivity. Which, mm-hmm. if you listen to last week's podcast, you would guess both of us were disappointed by that. We haven't talked about it since, but we kind of already said, "Oh, I hope I hope they don't just cut to him being in captivity." Which is exactly <laughs> what they did. Yeah. So we we know how TV works. We predicted it, but we didn't want it to be that way. Um, I guess all my quibbles are about Munch in a certain way. Um, maybe not all of them, but the the I don't know. What are the logistics of how did he sneak onto the ranch and get into the back of Vieter's car in the first place? Where is that uh, shed on the ice? How does he get back onto the ranch when it's surrounded by FBI? Yeah, you know, and I mean, I guess Fargo's asking me to not ask those questions but but that's my quibble i don't know were you feeling this at all and it, i felt the exact same thing and the impression is that he he has walked to the ranch from the lake dragging gator on a on a rope i just you know there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle here that have been left out both before gator gets there and after they leave so we're just you know it's not that it's just left to the imagination it's sort of left to say we're just giving you the best parts of it, but there are a lot of sort of holes to fill in here. It's it's it starts giving a little bit too much of the vibe of uh, old yeah. Munch being just kind of magical. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. You know, um, but it appear, okay. appears mysteriously out of the, you know, out of the fog, and just you know, it gets able to show up right at the moment that uh, that Tillman's about to make his stand. Yeah, it's very, very mysterious, very mystical. Right, which I mean, I guess they're going for that a little bit, and yeah, it's a quibble again. I'm saying quibble, it's not like a major criticism. Um, at least that's what I mean by that. Equally, the, the it, it, it ultimately feels a little bit drawn out, you know. Um, I remember thinking to myself as I was watching the episode at one point, um, I looked at the time that was left, and I said, Well, they can't possibly, mm. um draw this out to where the raid doesn't happen until next episode. Raid's going to happen in this episode, surely. Um, no, it doesn't. You know, like, they, they precisely do just kind of draw it out. It felt a little bit like they were padding time. Yeah. Um, to me, it did anyway. Yeah, that and that's sort of what I meant by a lot happens, but a lot doesn't happen. It, it's a lot of stage setting where you don't typically... We've talked about this before. You don't typically think of that in terms of a penultimate episode. That's sort of the where a lot of the stuff happens, and then the finale is often the fallout and the the resolution. Um, 
Yeah, this is what I mean. Yeah. It was like halfway through the episode and the stage was set. Yeah. And I looked at the clock and was like, okay, well, it's going to go down in this one. You know, exactly. only 20 minutes in. You know, exactly. it's going to go down in this one. And then um, it didn't. You know, they just kind of found a way to draw it out by kind of protracting scenes of Dorothy going and hiding and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, I, I noticed that out of the 44 whatever minute episode this was, how many minutes were spent just watching Dorothy just kind of sneak around and, and you know, move from spot to spot and, and not do much. Um, you know, hopefully the payoff will be there, but uh, could have used a little bit, a little, little bit more. I think the powerful stuff was great, but the the sleuthing and the waiting was was kind of distracting. Yeah, I don't know. So, look, I think the episode is fine. I just don't think it's the best episode of the season. You know, right. I think last week's episode was better. It was more compelling, um, absolutely in a consistent way. And um, hopefully, it's just kind of well, we got to get the pieces into place, and then the plan is to not really have it go down until the season finale, and then they're kind of drawing things out a little bit more than um, I wish they would, but fine. Okay, let, let's let's get into what goes on in a way that's, yeah. um, you know, not as much complaining. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's see. So well, what, the, worst, the, worst, the worst episode of Fargo is still better than a lot of stuff out there, so not, not too much to complain about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. And it's just, this, these are, again, in my mind, sort of minor quibbles about it. And um, yeah, maybe they, I mean, last week's episode was so compelling to me that I was really excited to watch this one. And then it was kind of like, oh, we're just moving chess pieces around in this yeah. episode more, more than anything else. Um, yeah. You mentioned Gator. Gator's apparently blind. What? What? And, and what do you think about um, all of this? I guess you you have a note about Munch's code of ethics near this. Yeah, no, it's just just interesting. The idea that um, he, you know, we have this one scene from earlier in the season, maybe episode two, where we have not gone back to it, but we can only presume that this idea of of sin eating and this taking on of of the the faults and flaws of others are part of Munch's lineage and his legacy, and it just seems that he is very much held to a um, looking literally eye for eye code of conduct. A you get what you deserve because of things that you've done. I get what I deserve because of things I have done. Um, very much reducing people to. You know, in this one, Gator is a rabbit. Dorothy is a tiger, and so they embody those very specific things. And you are, you are meant to do things a certain way. You are meant to um, act and behave, and even retaliate in a certain way. And you have to follow that sort of that that procedure. To that just seems to be the, what he lives by. Um, yeah. And because Gator broke a promise, because he killed someone even inadvertently much has to he can't help but return that favor by we believe removing gator's eyes and then throwing it back at the feet of his dad yeah i'm pretty sure i think it's fairly clear that that's what he does which yeah. is part of what i thought was interesting here um he doesn't kill him you know um he doesn't 
exact the revenge of killing him and extend that revenge also to Roy. Yeah. Um, whether he intuits that Gator coming to steal the money back was something that Gator did on his own or not. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess part of me thinks maybe he did. Yeah. But then it's also kind of interesting how this is more effective in a way as, yeah. uh, as revenge and also as something that probably cuts off um, a cycle of revenge in, in, in a way, right? In other words, I'm thinking that, well, if Munch had killed Gator and then Roy finds out that Munch had killed Gator, then Roy would think, oh, well, I have to go after Munch because he killed my son or something like that. But to yeah. remove Gator's eyes and to return him to his father as a useless hand, right, giving us the episode title, yeah. um, Roy rejects him, right? We've talked about this before in terms of how Gator just gets free pass after free pass mm -hmm. after free pass um but no longer right um here he is blinded kind of crying yeah. for his daddy to help him and roy practically spits in his face and walks away and says well yeah. whatever purpose you may have had you're useless now you yeah know? so and i do I, wonder you know go ahead no i was just gonna say i think that's a, that's an interesting point because it, it almost to me seemed like you talk about what can munch intuit out of things happening here munch could intuit that Gator was bordering on uselessness to his dad anyways because of how much he messes up, how you know, frequently he goes against what he says. And so Munch knows that the way to punish Gator the most is to just push him over that edge of you may have keep trying, try to get your dad's approval and work to get that you know in his favor. Here, let me make it impossible for you, literally, literally impossible. Your dad's going to want nothing to do with you, and that's the worst possible thing that Gator could endure you know it just seems like Tillman's just not going to be affected by anything that Munch does to him even taking his own son's eyes yeah and then I wonder is this setting up some kind of last second uh redemptive turn for Gator yeah actually? yeah because uh Roy just kind of leaves him there um and I believe he's still uh, bound by the wrists um so whether he can get out of that or whether like maybe Dorothy will find him and untie him or um, is Gator going to do something? Presumably he's going to do something in the last yeah. episode. He's not dead. And uh, kind of same goes for Munch. I don't know. Maybe he won't do anything in the last episode. I'm curious about that. That seems like a more open question. Um, it, seemed, it seemed to be pretty full circle that the show opens with Munch hunting Dorothy and then at the end of this episode, seemingly setting her free. I mean, she's not actually free yet, but giving her the means by which she can escape and get and get free. Um, the respect he has for her, the disrespect he has for the people that you know have caged her up and want to you know, kill someone who can't fight back. Um, so it seems like a pretty interesting arc, but I, I can't help but think he's going to have something to do with the finale. Right. Uh, thematically, though, it almost feels like, well, he's done now. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. <laughs> we were talking about they didn't explain how he got out and off the property before. So I guess I shouldn't get too hung up in, in how he gets off the property now. I mean, maybe just, yeah. Poof, he's gone and <laughs> you know, maybe he is out of the story. Um, we have, again, lots of chess pieces moving around. One thing I, I did think was interesting is, is after Dot escapes, she 
is confronted by Karen in the house. Mm -hmm. What did you make of that scene? Yeah, so almost you know, sort of tied into what we're talking about with Gator, almost the second episode in a row where she is seemingly close to convincing someone to come with her. Like we sort of speculated maybe she had thought that Gator could or would do that. Um and and you know that really didn't happen. Now it seems like she, you know, Karen was at least listening to her. You know, it's almost like you wanted Dorothy to say, it's not just going to be a black eye next. It's going to be broken ribs and it's going to be, you know, to your kids and all this stuff. And it's it, like she was trying to make that connection. But in the end, Karen just did the same thing that Gator did, which is, no, you know, this is this is the best situation I can be in. And and you know, ends up with her her lying on the floor. So I, I thought it was an interesting parallel and then also referencing back to, I think Dorothy saying in last episode, third time's a charm. Karen is committed to this, no matter how bad it gets for her. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was interesting because it's one of those things in watching the scene where I felt like, of course, this pull of wanting Karen to make that move, you know, and and, and realize that oh, here's an opportunity to act against my my abuser and so on and so forth. But narratively, yeah, um, I don't think it would have worked. Like in other words, in terms of this narrative, the story, what we've seen of Karen, her not doing that, yeah, made more sense. Unfortunately, you yeah. Know. Um, what will happen with her in the final episode? Open question. I don't know. I think she's like knocked out on the floor. So who knows if she wakes up or what? Yeah, and much like Gator, you know, Tillman comes across her. Doesn't do a thing to help her. Just as we say, he already him. did. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, he sees that. He goes, "Oh, everything <laughs> on the house somehow." You know, yeah. he doesn't even check to see if she's alive right. or anything. You know, he doesn't check on her well-being at all. Um, so things are leading up to what's going to be the final confrontation. We want to say some things about Lorraine and, and how she factors into this. She does find out that Danish was killed. This is a question we asked. Yeah. Dorothy does know that Danish is dead yes. and um, manages to talk to Lorraine on the phone. And um, now she's not sending in the Kansas City Mafia. She's sending in the feds. <laughs> you you caught the great line where she says, call call the orange idiot. You know, yeah. Right? <laughs> did, did you not catch this? I, I couldn't quite tell what she what she said again. These... You know, I'm I'm one of these. I like to go back and watch things with the subtitles on, so I can know exactly what they're saying. I didn't go back and do that here, but you you catching that? I mean, clearly we're talking about 2019 and who the president is at that, that time. It's like, get this guy on our side. Yeah, she says it's clear, and she says like all that money has to be good for something. Yes, um, yeah. and I think it's an it's an interesting dynamic. You know, they they don't name Trump. I'm going to go ahead and name Trump because I think. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's going to be any avoiding it in terms of uh, some of this other stuff to talk about, you know, um, which is that uh, Roy and his militia guys, I, I wouldn't, I thought about how I was going to put this and I forgot. You want to be careful. Um, my, my, my claim is not that all Trump supporters are like that. That's not my claim. But what I would claim is those people on that ranch who are gathering would clearly be Trump supporters. Do you agree? Yes, which is the irony that I think you're pointing at, that 
in this battle, which side would Trump actually be on? Lorraine's supposed <laughs> to be calling in or Roy's? Yeah, you know, it's um, like, because you mentioned the YMCA thing, so the other um, place where I was going to mention Trump. I don't know if you recall this. I recall a Trump rally where he played that song and he was doing the thing where he dances like this. People oh, can't no. see what I'm doing now because we're not on video. <laughs> doing this this Trump dance that I'm doing right here. I have, I have either blocked this out of my brain or, or, or did not see it. It's just, I just it's, thought that was a, how can we find the most annoying earworm song of all time and equate the, the militia to it? It's a fair point anyway, because like, what is that song doing <laughs> in in that kind of context? You know, exactly. it, it really is one of these examples where you're like, man, conservative politicians really do not listen to lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, like, you know, uh, harking back to, uh, I think Reagan used Springsteen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that's do you know what that song's about? Born in the USA is like, <laughs> what are you what are you doing? It's similar to the YMCA is like, um, but uh, it's entertaining. Uh, also interesting to me that Roy's stepfather, or I'm not stepfather, Roy's father in law, right? Yes. Carrie's dad, uh, whose name is uh, Odin, I think. Yes. Um, he seems to really be questioning what. What Roy is doing in terms of um, bringing about this particular confrontation? Any thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, now now that the chips are down, do you really have what it takes? You know, did we do all this, or did I give you sort of the the ability or the might behind all of this to for for nothing? Or are you going to really stand up for for what we say we believe in? Doesn't he ask him which Hitler he is again? Fargo's not subtle. Fargo <laughs> season five is not subtle. The I forget it's something or the or the bunker Hitler. You know, the Reichstag. Yeah, that's it. That's um, it. <laughs> and so uh, he wants him to be the Hitler ascending to power. That that's right. what he's what he's saying in that scene. If anyone didn't catch that, um, not so not the hiding in the bunker, Hitler. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're not being subtle here. Yeah, and he's is in that confrontation or the conversation between Roy and the and the Feds. You know, after it ends, you see Karen's father there, sort of looking on and nodding in approval of of Roy standing up to them and saying we're not backing down you're going to have to you know leave leave here now or die yeah there's always you know the, the other thing that's interesting about the impending confrontation is that throughout the season at least Fargo has largely presented the FBI as at least right on the line of incompetence yes don't you think? I um, absolutely, absolutely have done that. Uh, and here, there's some funny scenes in here, too, where, like, Wit's talking to the FBI SWAT guys, you know? Um, you guys are like, okay, don't, don't kill the hostage. Yeah, let me remind you, we're not going to kill them. It's like, in most in most circumstances like this, we'd be fine with that, to be clear. We're, we're making a point with it. Uh, okay. Did you, speaking of which, one thing that occurred to me, did you ever see the movie Red State? No, I've not seen that. Um, directed by Kevin Smith. Okay. I recommend it. So it's, a, it's a horror film. I hope things don't go along these sorts of lines, but I thought of it because in Red State, you basically have people who are being held hostage in this like right-wing compound, and then the feds show up. And um, But it's a horror movie. Okay, okay. Uh, basically hopefully uh 
the season finale of Fargo is not a horror movie. It, it's going it's going to be it may not be a horror movie, but it's going to be a commentary on something. I can almost guarantee you. Yeah, in some level of farce, you know, I don't know <laughs> what's going to happen here because certainly it can't be as straightforward as the feds roll in and yeah. you know take out the militia and rescue dot and they go home and everything's fine you know that's not what's going to happen it's fargo yeah yeah there is a we always think about this i think we referenced gator last week or others the week before it's it's who's not going to make it to the end of this season i think the list is pretty long um on on this one um i'm curious how you know considering what's being set up how Lorraine and Indira will, will sort of manifest themselves and, and become involved in, in this in some way. Um, everybody else seems to be converging on this on this property. Um, maybe Wayne and Scotty as well. But um, you know, the the last episode is is I'm is surely titled "This Quick for a Reason," right? We know we know from the first episode that that's uh, that's Dorothy and Scotty's thing to do together. So we'll we'll see how all that comes together. Yeah, and isn't she doing it at the end of the first episode, like pretending that nothing happened? Yep, that's exactly you know? what she's doing. So that that would be the connection. We'll see. Probably maybe we're going to get that. You kind of, given that Indira, Lorraine, Wayne, and Scotty are separate from the action. Yeah, they've stayed away. Even I think, um, I guess I would expect them to circle back in more in the denouement, as it were. Like uh, the climax of the confrontation, and then what happens afterwards? Um, I'm hoping that we see Lars again. I hope we see Lars again too. I fear we will not, but I, I hope that we will in some in some way or in some where are they now piece of something. It'd be like Indira goes home after all this, and he's still there because we predicted he wouldn't actually leave. You know? <laughs> yeah, um, that's, he's see two two days later. He's he's, he's still there. Which, yeah, which can I just touch on Indira for a second? So yeah. Redemption Services has got to have the fastest onboarding process I have ever seen in my life. Because in the timeline of the show, she's at Lorraine's house the previous night in her police uniform, driving her police car. And here we are, she says, last night is when Danish disappeared. Now she's in Lorraine's office in a business suit with the earpiece. Right, so this is a the fastest turnaround of a job I've I have ever seen. But uh, I guess the rain doesn't mess around when you come to work for me. You start you start immediately. No training necessary. Right, nothing. Yeah. So what she's it's already she decided, you know, Indira has the stuff as well. Yeah. yeah. And it is without veering too far into politics. We hit on this, so maybe I shouldn't even be mentioning it again because we already hit on it. But it is kind of interesting to me how our ideological showdown is between on the one hand Lorraine who is um kind of you know wealthy she says she implies in the episode that she gave money to Trump's campaign you know Mm -hmm. and then on the other hand um Tillman and this militia um who are so that there are two sides that You'd, you'd kind of put on one side of American politics, I yep. guess. Something like that? I don't know. I think it's interesting to show Yeah, and the way that they have done that and sort of pitted 
Lorraine and Roy against one another, where you really don't want either of them to win or succeed or come out on top. You, you want Dorothy as the single character, as the individual, as the tiger, to be the one that ends up on top of both of them somehow. Now, Lorraine tries to endear herself a little bit to a, to to Dorothy and to us as the audience in this episode by calling her her daughter and you know then telling her to get her big girl pants on and go take care of herself. Um, so there's some bridges perhaps being built there, but really we just we don't want anything positive to happen to to either Roy or Lorraine. We just want Dorothy to succeed and be able to go live her life and make silver dollar pancakes. Yeah. That was an affecting scene emotionally. Yeah. Who that was. Um, I'll throw into that also. I don't know that uh, we're rooting for the FBI either. I mean, do you no. see the, them be like, yeah, they're the good guys, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, it's an interesting setup. And uh, I'm sure in one way or another, chaos will ensue. But yeah, I mean, particularly this season, insofar as they've said many times, it's like it's not subtle kind of what's going on with some of this stuff where does this land in terms of um something like a message or a position or a lesson or you know are are we in store for anything along those lines or or, or somehow not going to get anything along those lines yeah i think it's just a could be just a sense of no matter where you fall along those lines, it's destructive, it's corrosive, nobody's going to win. You want everyone to to lose. It's those people that are looking out for others and actually trying to to rise above it that you want that you want to win. Um, mm-hmm. you know, a, again, not not subtle stuff here that they don't want any they don't want you to bring for any side of that those lines. But I'm reminded of another this is a Cohen Brothers reference, actually. So this might be on the right track. Have you seen Burn After Reading? Oh, a long time ago. Yeah, long I, I rather like that film. But I'm remembering how at the end of Burn After Reading, there's this scene where it's like the CIA or whatever. They're like, what did we learn from all of this? And the answer is like, I have got, got, I don't, I don't. So like, maybe that's kind of yeah, where we're yeah. going here. Oh, boy. Well, yeah, I mean, like I said, a lot of pieces moving around. Um Setting up something. We'll see. We'll see how it goes next week. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So I think that about does it for this one. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, so. So we'll be back next week on Tuesday for the season finale of Fargo, episode 10, and the title's Bisquick. Um, before then, we're planning to hit on True Detective um, and get that out for you on Sunday night. So that would be an episode just on the True Detective premiere next Tuesday usual news notes and then Fargo season finale. And then we'll go from there segging into true detective next up. That's our plan. All right. So as always, thanks for listening. Uh, do check out the website, tvobsessive.com. Um, follow us on social media, uh, search for TV obsessive and you should find us on, you know, pretty much all of the social media sites, um, except for like post, Wait, maybe I did put us on post. No one uses post. No one uses post. No, don't, don't know anything about no post. You don't even know what post is. <laughs> um, anyhow, uh, yeah, also check out our um, YouTube channel and subscribe to the YouTube. Um, try to get that going. And um, 
Yeah, I guess we'll leave it there. Yeah, I look forward to finale next week. We'll uh, talk then. All right, see you next week.